Please be seated. We are deeply blessed, aren't we, in our congregation to have such talented musicians who are able to lead us in such a sensitive and gracious manner. I know <coughs> Bob made light of um, you know, taking note of the words of the Christmas carols <laughs> and I appreciate the, uh, the uh, sense in which that was done. Did you realise that back in ancient times when people were far less literate than we are now. One of the reasons churches built stained glass windows was to tell the gospel story so that people could see it visually. Uh, In an age when they couldn't read Bibles for themselves, in an age when Bibles were not available to the common person and so the stained glass windows in a church would tell uh, the story of the gospel. In the same manner, in ancient times people learnt uh, much theology from their windows we, whether we realise it or not, actually learn a lot of our theology from what we sing. And so there's much wisdom in being aware of what we sing, isn't there? And I don't say that by any means as a word of criticism. Please don't understand that of what we just sang. Fantastic. Uh, but broadly, we need to be really careful because oftentimes those things that we sing will take deeper root in our hearts than what we read, if indeed we're reading. Uh, just an observation. We're going to turn to uh, the scripture this morning and you'll find our reading in the Gospel of Luke, just a short one, Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through to 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. You can imagine why. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. Let's pray. Lord, today we give you thanks again for your word, and as we come to it, we pray that you will open our eyes afresh to what your spirit is saying to your people, to your church, to us as individuals today. Help us to sweep away uh, some of the dross that we accumulate uh, from all sorts of sources. Help us to be in the presence of Christ now that you would speak to us as you do to each individual whose heart is open to you. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you are here. We acknowledge your presence. We depend upon it now and we seek you. Amen. Well, it's a bit of a family joke um, in our family in so much as um, Diana's dad, who was born in the year 1935, was born on the 31st of March. His father, who thought, oh, that's going to be a hard date to remember, moved it to the 1st of April. (laughs) And so his birthday is celebrated on the 1st of April. I kind of doubt that you'd get away with doing that nowadays. Let me tell you, one of the joys in my role, and that Matt has this joy too, is working with people who are getting married 
we have to jump through all sorts of hoops now to prove the identity and the birth of the person that we are marrying. And so they need to produce original copies of birth certificates. They have to have supporting evidence as if they were not real people unless they could. And it can be quite challenging. I can remember at a wedding I did some years ago, I was marrying a Fijian Indian fellow to an Australian girl, a lovely guy. He's been in the country for years. And I said to him, have you got a birth certificate? He said, no. So we went through all sorts of hoops to try and prove that he was a real person. <laughs> he was there in flesh and blood in front of me. But because he was born in a country and at a time where records were not overly well kept, um, we had to go through quite some difficulties to actually be able to perform the marriage for him. This week uh, we move to the third and final myth that we're going to unpack uh, around Christmas and I'm so sorry if some of you have had to go and chuck out Christmas cards and um, you know, it's demolished so much of um, what you've held true to me over the years as we've drilled back into the scriptures. We're just going to do this one more time and I promise that today you're probably not going to need to change your nativity scenes or any of those kinds of things. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the 25th of December, the myth that Jesus' birthday falls on the 25th of December. Now the good news is, uh, as I said, we're not going to have to change too much. Uh, the reality is that I doubt that you would find a biblical scholar anywhere in the world who would say that the 25th uh, is an accurate representation of when Jesus was born. Let's start with that. It's just off the radar. And we'll talk about where that came from in just a few moments. What I want to do actually today is talk briefly about the time of the year when Jesus was born because we can figure that out from the scripture. Uh, but move from the particular because the day, the date, the month, it's not that significant really in the grand scheme of things. It's not that important. Move from that to the general because the timing of when Jesus came in terms of the geopolitical context, that's significant. Because when we look at that, we can see that God sent his son into the world at just the right time, politically, uh, and more than just politically, spiritually as well. Uh, that we'll drill into this morning. To satisfy those of you who are a little bit interested in doing some detective work, there's, there are some clues in the scripture. Now, I've been working really hard on trying to make sure the presentation on the screen works today, so we'll see how we go. Let's do a little bit of detective work around um, the timing of the year. So here we've got a kind of a schematic diagram of the year, and I've even managed to get colour to represent the northern hemisphere warm and cool, okay? So warm in the middle, June, July, actually, in the parts of the world where Jesus lived, June, July is hot. Other times of the year, quite cool. The shoulder season's very, very pleasant. The time of the year is rather interesting. There's some clues that we have. We're told by uh, Luke that it happened during the time of the Roman census. Now, as I said a couple of weeks ago, the Romans were not stupid. They planned their census very, very strategically. First of all, they planned it at a time of year when it was suitable for travel. You wouldn't do it in the middle of winter because the roads would be difficult and uh, you know, being out in the weather. You wouldn't do it in the peak of summer. Uh, you wouldn't do it in springtime. Does anyone remember why? No, not harvest time. It was planting time. 
You would do it after summer harvest and the reason you would do that was because people were uh, finished their hard work but they were also at their richest. Because the Romans were not interested in how many people there were in the building, so to speak. They wanted to know what the assets were. And so we surmise, and I think reasonably accurately, uh, that Jesus' birth took place somewhere between July and October probably. We're told also in the scripture the shepherds were out in the fields. Now again, they would not have been out there in the middle of winter. That doesn't really help us all that much. It gives us a slightly broader kind of... um, Uh, schemata there so uh, we'll just park that but again it lines up with the Roman census again a date somewhere between June and November the third clue we drill right into the scriptures and I think it's probably the best one uh, is this Luke tells us that Mary conceived uh, sorry that uh, yes Mary conceived at the time when Elizabeth the mother of John the Baptist was six months pregnant now we can work out pretty accurately when John was conceived. If this is a bit sensitive for any children, just cover their ears. Um, We're talking about human reproduction. Um, We can tell reasonably accurately when John was conceived because in the scripture we're told, and this is found in Luke chapter 1 verse 5, that John's father Zacharias was a priest serving in the Jerusalem temple during the course of Abijah. Now, historical calculations tell us that means that John was serving in the temple between June the 13th and the 19th. All right? It was during this time of temple service that he learnt that he and his wife would have a child and after he completed his service, we're told that he went home, Elizabeth conceived, and so we make an assumption, and it is just an assumption, that John's conception took place somewhere near the end of June. Is that fair so far? Is it making sense so far? There's some unknowns in here. I'm not going to tell you that's absolutely 100%. uh, We don't know for sure, but uh, we're making some assumptions on the basis of the information that we have. If we then add uh, that six months to when Mary and Elizabeth meet, that takes us through to December. If we then go to John's birth, which is in March, if the plan that I've just given you is correct, that means that we add six months to the time when Jesus was born and we've got a date that kind of aligns pretty neatly uh, with those two other pieces of evidence, the shepherds in the field and the Roman census. Did you guess it correctly, September? That was the (laughs) date you were kind of shooting at? Well done. Again, we don't know for sure. And do we need to know for sure? No, we don't. It's just out of curiosity that I walk you through that exercise. So why is it, whoops, why is it that we celebrate, let me see if I can just kill that, no I can't. Tim, can you just black that for me, I don't need that again for a little while. Why do we celebrate on the 25th of December? Well the truth is, it wasn't until quite some years after Jesus' birth that Christians began to celebrate the birth of Jesus. They didn't do it in the first few years. In fact, they didn't do it in the first few centuries. If you've read through the Gospels, as many of you have, you'll notice that right through the New Testament, in fact, very, very little is said after the Gospels, so Acts through to Revelation, very little is said about the birth. Lots is said about the death. There's lots of places where Jesus' death is talked about and the significance of Jesus' death is talked about many places where the significance of Jesus' death is talked about, but not much when it comes to the birth. 
In fact, in the early centuries, there was some criticism, um, and Origen of Alexandria was one of these who, who, uh, who lived in AD 165 to 264. He was one of what's known as the fathers of the church. He was kind of like one of the elders of the elders, if you like. Um, and Origen criticised these pagan Romans for celebrating birthdays. And so there wasn't much focus on the birth of Jesus in those first few centuries. But something changed around the third century and it might have changed for a couple of reasons. And again, we don't know for sure, but there's some guesses that we can take. One of the most common theories is um, that Christmas the 25th is, is a date borrowed from pagan celebrations. The Romans had their midwinter Saturnalia festival in late December. Did you realise that in just a couple of days it's the summer solstice? Nobody's acknowledging that, Joel. You and I are the only one interested in the times and the season. In, uh, it's the 21st of December, the longest day of the year for us, the shortest night. That means that uh, in a couple of days' time the birds will be waking you up at half past five in the morning, if not earlier. It's incredible. If we travel to the northern hemisphere, though, it's the opposite, isn't it? The shortest day. And so the Romans developed celebrations and, and other pagan cultures in the northern hemisphere and certainly up through Europe uh, of the birth of the sun. The shortest day is past. This new life is coming. And so the pagans focused very heavily on that. Um, in 274, um, AD, the Roman Emperor Aurelian established a feast on the birth of Sol Invictus, the unconquered sun, 25th of December, uh, to celebrate this new light, this new season that was coming. And so the argument has been made, and there might well be some validity in this, that Christians took that date and borrowed it and invested it with new meaning, and that's where Christmas comes from. Is that a problem? Well... It's an individual question, really. Personally, I don't have any great issues with that because through history, God's taken all sorts of stuff and redeemed it. He's taken you and I and redeemed us, hasn't he? And if he can do it to individuals, can he do it to celebrations or traditions? Absolutely he can. There's another theory um, that... Um, sorry, there's, uh, you might have heard that theory. The truth is... Um, it's actually quite hard to um, prove that from the writings of Christians. You can't demonstrate from a lot of literature written by Christians, at least, that they took over a pagan festival. If that's the case, uh, well, that's the case. It's possible, though, that um, Jesus, the interest in Jesus' origins became more front and centre as the centuries went by because there were sects, as in heretical groups that arose even within the church who questioned who is Jesus where did he come from how do we know he was human how do we know he was divine and so Christians in those early centuries were driven to actually ask the question well what did actually happen at his birth what did happen at his coming why was that significant and it became an important to have an understanding of events around his birth because they help explain some of the questions about why Jesus came to earth and why he lived in the way that he did. We need to park all of that stuff. There are some folks in our community who are very comfortable celebrating Christmas, others who are not so comfortable, 
absolutely fine either way. In the church, we tend to use the opportunity to refocus ourselves and acknowledge the significance of the coming of Christ. But are we tied to the date? We probably shouldn't be. But let's go from the specific to the general. Why 2,000 years ago? Why in Judea? Why at the time of the Roman oppression? Now, just in your mind, if you can, grab a, a mental image of Israel, Judea, that area in the Middle East. Why this tiny, insignificant outpost in the middle of this enormous empire, in this enormous world? Why was Jesus born there and not in Europe or in Africa or in Asia or, heaven forbid, in Tasmania or somewhere like that? You know, why in the Middle East at this time? And one of the threads that runs through this story, it's a thread that we've picked up on occasions over the last couple of weeks, is that God works his miraculous purposes out in the very ordinariness of life. And so too in this coming of Christ into the world, into the very ordinariness of life, God worked his miraculous. And we see that uh, through this story. For perhaps the first time in history, just thinking about the time when Jesus was born, for the first time in history there was a common language used across the world. Greek, Koine Greek. People everywhere had at least a working knowledge of Greek. Now you know how significant that is, don't you? Because in this room, you can talk to anybody else. We share a common language. You might not always understand what the other person's saying, but at least you can hear the words, true? And so if we, and we will as a church, have a vision for what God wants us to do into our community over this new season that we're entering into, we will communicate it, we will understand it together, we will be able to work together. Remember the story of the Tower of Babel, of course, when the, um, the people there were seeking to build themselves a tower up to the heavens. What did God do? Confused their languages. And so they were not able to achieve their purposes. For the first time in history, at the time of the coming of Jesus, we see a common language. Now, language is not a big issue to God. Let's just be clear about that because we see even there at the time of the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, the, uh, the apostles spoke in other tongues and they were actually able to be understood by other people from other places. We hear them speaking in our own tongues. There's a comment that's made there in Acts. It's not a big issue for God, but according to his timing and according to his purposes for the first time in history language allowed the spread of the gospel think about rome although not the world's first superpower it was the most powerful to that date and they had established what is known as the pax romana the roman peace and you could travel pretty much anywhere in the roman world and there was peace where you went to it didn't mean to say that there wasn't danger on the roads of course there was However, having said that, the Romans also guarded the roads. And so again, for the first time in history, there was an opportunity to travel in relative safety. And why is that significant in terms of when Jesus was born? Well, again, because when it comes time to carry the message, it can go out, it can travel, it can move relatively freely. There's nothing uh, like wars or skirmishes, or dare I say it, pandemics to stop the free movement of people 
<laughs> we smile about how difficult it was to get across the border here on occasions. Can you imagine if that was like that all the time in every place between here and Wangaratta or Benalla or Corowa or wherever it might be that we have all these borders and people that, uh, that are up in arms with one another? How would you communicate a message? It's almost impossible. And for the first time in history, there was peace across the empire and so the message was more easily able to be transmitted. The Romans were great road builders, as you know, and they not only built good roads, but they guarded the roads. There are Roman roads being used to this very day, 2,000 years later. And again, the gospel could be carried without threat, um, although we ought to point out too that a lot of the missionary journeys that Paul went on were not on roads, they were by sea. But even so, again, it was the peace that the Romans... Uh, had established that enabled that. And if we think about Israel, if you've got that mental picture of this place, Israel, under Roman rule, even though it was under Roman rule, it was uh, pretty much at the zenith of its power. It was not in a bad place in, in many respects. It was just a few years later that the Romans, frustrated by the continual rebellion and intransigence of the Jews, came and flattened the temple pushed every stone one from the other and why is that significant why is this uh, this oppression this um, punishment of Israel of the Jews so significant well it's a bit like I'm not sure whether this illustration is going to work um, just imagine you've got a little pile of flour as in baking flour self-raising flour make it into a nice little pyramid it looks nice right and then you get a kitchen chair and you uh, place the chair next to the Flour. let's say you've got perhaps four or five cups of flour and then you get a bowling ball which is representative of the Romans and you stand on the chair and you drop it on the flour, what's going to happen? It goes everywhere. <laughs> and in a perhaps less dramatic way, maybe in just as dramatic a way, that's what happened. Because when the Romans came in and they destroyed the temple and they took over the place in a really powerful, violent way, Jews were scattered everywhere. And Christians were scattered everywhere. And what happens to the gospel? Gets carried with them wherever they went, down into Africa, up the north into Greece, Turkey, right up through to Italy, across to India, all over the world, all over the known world. And so again... God worked out his purposes even through the oppression of the Romans. The Jews were spread, the Christians were spread, the message was spread to all places. And Judea again, why Judea? Well, if, if for nothing else, it was a crossroads of civilization. You draw a line between Judea and Mesopotamia and Egypt, those areas, Persia, uh, up into Europe, down into Africa. It's kind of like a crossroads so there's some of the geopolitical reasons. What about the spiritual reasons? Well, Paul described these in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, and we'll quote this in full in a moment. He said, When the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive the full rights of children. When the time had fully come. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? When the time had, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. 
God sent Jesus to redeem us at the exact time appointed by God. God has never been in a place where he's been taken by surprise. He's never been in a place where he said, oh my goodness, look at what's happening, I need to do this, and changed his plans. He's worked his purposes out in a methodical, careful, loving way through history. When the fullness of time came, that's a great expression, uh, in his perfect and sovereign timing, a time that had been prepared right from the beginning of creation, God did his work and everything was prepared. If you want to use a really Australian phrase, when all the ducks lined up, when everything was in place, when all was prepared to accomplish the prophecies relating to the first coming of Christ, when the people, when the events, when the politicians, when the geography, when the history, and even when the star appeared, when everything was lined up, when the time had come for the shadow of the old covenant to give way and be replaced with the appearance of Christ, then God revealed him. As, um, as we've been working our way through these reflections over the past few weeks it is easy to get uh, tangled up in some of the details and the author of the bible haven't given us a lot to go on when it comes to thinking about the birth of jesus and in fact they weren't so worried about the where or the when as they were about the why why did jesus come let's have a look at uh, the passage here from Galatians, sorry Tim if we jump to that last one, uh, just to flesh this out as we conclude. This is what Paul said, when the time had fully come, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, my Father. So you're no longer slaves but God's children. Since you are his children, God has made you an heir. And that's the take-home message of Christmas. Let's not worry about the date. Let's worry about the person. And this Christmas, our invitation is to take a fresh look at Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, our desire is at this Christmas time to allow some of the things that have distracted us from worship of you and certainly some of the things that distract our community from worship of you to fall away and focus afresh on you. Lord God, we give you thanks that in your perfect sovereign planning, Jesus came at just the right time, when the time had fully come. Lord, we thank you that he was born of a woman fully fully human like us and fully God. We thank you that our Lord Jesus experienced life just as we experience it, dependent, totally and, and utterly dependent on that teenage Mary and Joseph who grew in wisdom and stature, who lived a life without sin, who taught the scriptures faithfully and with authority. Lord Jesus, you healed the sick. You freed those who were in the prison of darkness, of demonic oppression, of illness, of brokenness, and you continue to do that today. 
Lord, as we conclude uh, this series, we want to thank you again for your word and for what you have revealed to us. We pray today for ourselves and for our community that we might look afresh upon Jesus Christ. We might be challenged by his life and by his love. We might invite you to transform us that we might grow to become more like Christ. Father, we thank you for the opportunity again that we've had today to gather, to give praise and worship to you, to honour the living God, the one who lives amongst us. Bless us as we continue to worship, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's invite you again to stand and uh, we're going to conclude with a song led by our team.